At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to look deeper into 1 Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. All right, I want to begin this morning by talking about a woman who was not at all famous, not even recognized actually during her lifetime. Her contemporaries would not think much of her work. She was a woman who was known for simplicity and seclusion, and yet her poetry lives on today. Her poetry is reflected upon and praised more than a hundred years after her passing. It is one of Emily Dickinson's most famous lines that is going to give us our start this morning. Here's what the great American poet wrote. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words. And it never stops at all. Do you guys feel those feathers in your soul today? Are you able to sing that tune this morning? If you can't feel it, if you're not feeling it today, I want you to know that you are not alone. Research suggests that as of right now, 50% of all Americans are struggling to find hope. 50%. And yet, when you hear those words of Emily Dickinson's, there's something about them that rings true in our world today as we consider them and as we reflect upon them. And so in the midst of a season of social injustice, in the midst of political firestorms, in the midst of literal firestorms on the west coast of our country, right smack dab in the middle of a global pandemic, we have to ask the question, how is it possible for us to experience hope? I've got good news for you. Today we're going to be looking at a portion of God's word that will give us both the why we can have hope and the where we can find hope. We're going to turn to, their, turn to that passage of scripture in just a moment. But before we do, let's come before our Heavenly Father in prayer together. Let's pray. Gracious God, you are our heavenly Father, and it is in you that we trust. It is in you that we submit to your leadership because today, in spite of what we see in our culture, we acknowledge that you are on your throne. You are sovereign. You are in control. When the world seems to be spinning out of control, we acknowledge from the truth of your word that you remain in control. And so that's why we're here today. Because you're worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our time on a Sunday morning. You are worthy of our praise. And God, you are worthy of this next half hour when we open our minds and our hearts to you, the truth of your word. You are worthy of it, and you've communicated truth to us. It's all we need to guide and lead us in our lives. And so, God, right now, we need ears to hear this truth today. 
We need eyes to be able to see the truth that's found in your word and then the humble, courageous hearts to live out that truth. Today and in the week ahead, And so, God, give us the power through your Holy Spirit to experience that, to live that in all the areas of our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we are jumping into a new sermon series. It is based on the first letter that the Apostle Peter penned. Now, the title of the series, as you may have already picked up, is Unshakable. It is Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. I really like that title, actually, because it does two very specific things. First, what we have to know is that when Peter addresses a letter, he's writing it to an individual group of people. In that first century culture, what Peter was doing was he was communicating into a space of upheaval, of chaos. There's a lot of things happening culturally into the community of believers that Peter is writing to. And that's also why I like it for us today. Because as we engage with what Peter writes, what we'll find is that it has a lot of encouragement, a lot of truth for our times as well. So rather than trying to explain 1 Peter away, let me encourage you to grab your Bible and we're going to turn to the book of 1 Peter. If you are reading in the ESV version, you're going to find that on page 1014. If you are following along on a mobile device, it is 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus and Galatia, in Cappadocia, in Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, it's undefiled and it's unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ." Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him, and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them 
that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that you have been now announced to you that through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. It's a powerful segment of God's word. But I want to highlight something that we heard right at the beginning. It's Peter writing to a very specific and unique group. He begins his letter by acknowledging that he, is writers, that he is writing to a group of believers who are in exile. He's writing to a minority audience living in a strange land in difficult times. Let me say that again. A minority audience living in a strange land in difficult times. Do you understand how that connects with our world? I hope you do. But it's into that space. You might expect a letter to have this vibe of intensity. You'd say, wow, they're going through a lot of stuff. What Peter is going to write is going to be really be intense. Going to be filled with battle plans. And yet that's not at all what we find at the beginning of Peter's letter. It's pastoral. It's honest. And it is respectful of the cultural climate that the people are walking through. That's what you see in the beginning of Peter's letter. But I want to take a little deeper dive. So let's start at verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, states right out of the gate who he is and what he's about. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter begins this letter by addressing a unique group of folks and it is such an interesting term. It is elect exiles, elect exiles. Let's consider both descriptions for just a moment. What Peter is addressing here is the fact that believers are chosen by God. Believers are chosen by God, picked out by God for his unique purposes, distinct from the world around them. You're elect. But they're also exiles, this speaks to the reality that they are strangers in a strange land. Now, if you were keeping score, that would be Asia Minor in this text, which we would know today as modern-day Turkey. So what Peter is highlighting are really opposite ends of the spectrum. When he's communicating to this group of people, he is acknowledging both sides of the spectrum. He's saying, on the one hand, the idea that you were elect is glorious, but you're in exile, so it's a little uncomfortable. It's going to be encouraging. And yet, as exiles, there's this ominous tone. Here's what I want you guys to consider. Enter into it with me, if you will. Sunny fall day. Beautiful. 
blue skies, big white poofy clouds. You've got your pumpkin spice latte and your pumpkin spice donut. You're feeling it. You guys feeling it? That's what you got on one hand. The problem is, is you walk out the door and it is 30 degrees outside. It's freezing. So you've got the glorious and you've got the uncomfortable. That's what we're looking at here. This cultural dichotomy that Peter describes in this season, and I want you to know in the midst of it, you and I can find hope. You and I can find hope. Now, here's why. Because of what comes next in the text. He communicates the significance of the Trinity at work in the life of the believer. Listen to what Peter says about Christ's followers. He says, the Father foreknew you. Then he said, the Spirit is at work sanctifying you. And then he says, Jesus is the one that is covering you with the sprinkling of his blood to be your obedience. So you've got the Father, you've got the Spirit, and you've got the Son. This is a beautiful picture of the Trinity. All three members of the Godhead are fully engaged in the life of the believer. Johnny, that's perfect. Because that's what should happen when we recognize what we're talking about here. All three members of the Godhead are at work in your life and in mine. So we're going to try that one more time. Everybody, thank you. But there's more. There's a lot more, in fact. Peter highlights for us this idea that we also are receiving mercy. God has caused us to be born again. Here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say you did the work to be born again. It says God caused you to be born again. It was God. And it was God who gives us a living hope through the bodily resurrection of his son, Jesus, from the dead. It was God who did that. And it was God who has given us a future. He's given believers a future that is imperishable, that is undefiled, that is unfading, and it is kept in heaven for you. It was God. And that reality highlights the first of three reasons that we're going to see today that believers, that you and I can have true hope because we can rightly praise God because heaven is secured. We can praise God because eternal life has been secured. This is the source of hope. This is a true source of hope for those of us who are in Christ because our salvation and our future rest solidly upon God. It is not up to me. I will screw it up. It's not up to me. I can't do it. I can't be good enough. I can't check off enough boxes. It's not up to me. It is about God and him at work, what he's done and what he continues to do. Church, this is why we call it the gospel. This is good news. It's good news because our eternity does not rest upon our goodness. It does not rest upon our works. It rests solely upon our triune God. I want to tell you something. That reality 
from God's word that's the best news you've heard all week. It rests solely upon God. So believer, here's what that means in your life today. I can talk in the kind of the spiritual realm and the abstract and say, well, that's really nice. I, I agree with that. Here's what it means for you today. You can, in fact, rest upon the goodness of God. You can, in fact, have peace because of the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. And you can have hope because the Holy Spirit is guiding you in this life and he's guiding you towards eternity. Now let's look back at our text, 1 Peter uh, verse 6. It says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pause right there. There's grieving. There's various trials. And there you have the believers being tested. Well, that sounds like fun, doesn't it? That sounds like a jolly old good time right there. You see, for some of us, it might sound like Peter is writing directly into what you and I have been experiencing these past few months. What we have been walking out in our lives sounds a whole lot like grieving and trials and testing. You might not say that and you might put on a, a happy face when you enter into the church building and yet deep down in your soul you know that you've been grieving. You've been struggling with the trials that have come. You're being tested in your faith. This is all too real for you. But I want you to know that the Apostle Peter isn't specifically writing to you. But he was addressing believers who were walking through the same stuff that you and I are walking through. The root of sin. And he's speaking directly to a group of believers who are in fact outspoken about their faith in Jesus Christ. That's who he's writing to. The elect exiles that Peter is writing to have been bold in their proclamation of Jesus. They're paying the price for it. You see, it was impossible for a follower of Jesus not to stand out among that first century crowd. But here's the reality. That should be true of us too. It should be impossible for us to not stand out because of who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. The people we live with, the people we work with, the people we go to school with, the people we spend time with, the people we live with in our neighborhood, they should see and hear something different from you and from me. But here's what happens. When they do, Followers of Jesus can experience some difficult things. We can go through grief. We can lose friendships over it. We can go through trials because when we stand for Christ, trials can come. And then we can experience testing because our worldview and our values are different than what's being played out in our culture today. It happens. 
And this truth gives us the second reason that believers, that you and I can in fact have true hope because we can praise God that our suffering strengthens our faith. That suffering strengthens our faith. Now I'm guessing that some of you are saying, well, that is a really pastoral thing to say. That is just wonderful. It's true. It's true because Jesus told us it would be true. Here's what he said. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you were not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, there you go again, God's doing the work, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. And if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. But here's the thing. There is good news in the midst of that. The Apostle James gives believers perspective, and actually he gives us a little bit of hope in the midst of these struggles. Here's what he writes. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you and that I may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see, our own faith journey affirms this, doesn't it? We know this to be true. We know that there is persecution. We know that there is the opportunity for growth when God works in and through us and he helps us persevere through those trials. We know this to be true in our own life because grief causes us to seek refuge. Trials help you and I to grow stronger, and testing helps you and I persevere. Here's a little reality that nobody really wants to talk about. In the context of Christianity, nobody really mentions this a whole lot. It's sort of swept under the rug, but I'm just going to state it the obvious, and you'll all agree with me. You won't like it, but you'll all agree with me. Here's the reality. It is in the valleys of our faith journey that we see the most growth. It is when you and I are walking through the most difficult times in our marriages, in our families, in our careers, in our finances, those are the times where we see deep seasons of spiritual growth. The tracks run parallel difficulty and God at work. They roll together. This is why in his classic book, The Cross of Christ, theologian John Stott says that suffering actually produces something special in our lives. Here's what he writes. He says, there is always an indefinable something about people who have suffered. Always. They have a fragrance that others lack. They exhibit the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. Well, well, suffering is not something that you and I would typically sign up for. 
The reality is when we suffer, God shows up and works in our hearts. And so you and I can trust that in the midst of our struggle, our faith will be strengthened. Now let's close by looking at the end of this section. 1 Peter verse 10. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you though those who, through those who have preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. What Peter is doing here is he is declaring for all who read this letter that even the prophets of the Old Testament foretold the sufferings of Jesus Christ. But there's good news. Even though Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith, suffered, there was something else that happened. And it's right there in that text. Did you catch it? Subsequent glories. Subsequent glories. What are those glories? The answer gives us the third reason that we can have hope. We can praise God that salvation has come. You and I can praise God that salvation has come and with it the promise of hope. You see, Jesus entered our world to pay the penalty of sin that you and that I could not pay. And it is in him that we find our salvation. It is in Christ that mercy is provided It is in Christ that grace is given. It is in Christ that sinners like you and like me are forgiven. And yet, and yet, like the prophets of old, we wait. We wait. The prophets of old were telling of the Messiah who would come. We know from Scripture that he has come, and we wait for his second coming. Church, the Lord will appear once again in order to save his people. The Lord will appear once again in order to renew his creation. The Lord will appear once again, and this truth is why believers can boldly proclaim that Jesus Christ is our living hope. Do you guys know this hope? The living hope who is Jesus the Christ. Do you know this hope? Because this is the kind of hope that we heard in the words of Emily Dickinson earlier this morning. May your hope in Christ perch deep within the soul. May your hope in Christ sing a tune without the words. And may your hope in Christ never stop at all. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.